All right, here we go. Episode 92 of Nothing to Say, the fans podcast. Took two weeks off. We all had our own individual stuff we had to take care of. It was mostly just you. That's really not 100% true at all. Um, So, funny thing is, is that I was on time today. So, um, anyway, I was going to introduce the show by congratulating both of you, because Ben Welker is here with us as well. I was going to you know, start the show off with congratulating you on graduating, but instead I'm going to congratulate Ben because Sam, you're an ass. So Ben, congratulations. Jason, I really appreciate the kind words, man. I, you know, can't say enough about just how great and gracious you are to me and you let me be on the show. And now we'll let Sam say something stupid. Yeah. Sam? I'm just not going to talk. There's no point at this point. Did you graduate? I guess not, apparently. Oh, Sam, it's okay. bad radio For- if you can't talk. <laughs> it's Well, good thing we're not on the radio. Uh, <laughs> apparently, all four years just went to shit. Apparently. Uh, you, you know what? Congrats on graduating. I keep saying graduating. Graduating. It's a hard word. It's a it hard really, word. It really is. You're just congrats. combining the two. Yeah, congrats, man. You know what, Jason? Thank you so much, Ben. I'm proud of you, dude. Uh, it's awesome that Thank you're going you, to sir. grad school. Uh, we already talked about this. We already had a nice moment um, when we when Jason and I bombarded you at your home. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, just lovely again, congratulations, dude. Thank you. I appreciate you as well, man. It's awesome. And we're all going to celebrate this week by going and playing golf. Playing a really expensive round of golf. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be hot as hell. So the stage for anybody who's listening is going to be Sam and Ben and somebody who you've heard on this podcast, Keegan. So it'll be Sam and Ben versus Keegan and myself. And Keegan and I are looking to have a nice, easy time. Shouldn't be that bad. Um, I mean, I expect to put them away by hole 13, hopefully. So. Hey, Ben, I played, uh, I played nine just before we were recording this. And uh-huh. I think I shot maybe on just under 60. Yeah, so Jason, you guys might have the the edge here because I'm worried my playing partner might get in my head. I my game is dialed right now. Swing after swing, it so might I, be an issue. I think the thing that is actually going to help Keegan and I is we both haven't played, and I know that sounds a little weird, but I think we're going to go in it with minimal pressure. We're just going to be like, you know what, we we're playing against Ben, and Ben is going to be the 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 force that we're going to have to deal with. And, you know, if we don't beat him, then we don't beat him. There's no pressure. And I think that's going to be the thing. Now, here's going to be the interesting part is I don't think we've decided the format. Because oh, we if, should do um, we should do just like the match in honor of the match coming back. We should do uh, best ball the first nine and then alternate shot the second nine. I'd be all in for that. Sounds ben, what do you think me. about that? Huh? I'd be all in for I that. Think, I think Sam and I can do a modified alternate shot where we both hit drives. Because <laughs> I want to make sure that we're off the tee. Well, the funny the funny thing is, is that the thing that Keegan and I are going to have to compete with is whatever format we elect to do. And if that's the one that we elect to do, whichever one minimizes the amount of shots that we keep from that you guys keep from, you know, you've been, then that may work in our favor. Um, yeah, I, I'm down. I like that. I think we'll do modified alternate shot so we can all have a chance of having a shot off the tee. But, and I yeah. don't want—I don't want to sound like I'm completely dissing Sam, but Ben is just way better than all three of us. So it's not even um, a diss when it's that true, you know? Yeah. So it's not. <laughs> it, it could be me playing with Ben. It could be Keegan playing with. It wouldn't matter. Whichever one, whatever format where we could minimize Ben's shots would be 
advantageous for whatever. It could be Sam, Keegan, and myself versus Ben. Uh, Ooh, I just had an idea, too. We could do, like, a Ryder Cup because it's a Ryder Cup year, too. We could kind of do some Ryder Cup games, too. But we can talk about this offline. This is yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure that out later. But, again, guys, congrats on graduating and moving forward with your endeavors, which we don't have to go into right now. But uh, um, I think the biggest thing right now for each of us is the show. So let's hop into it. There are – we have taken – what is it, two weeks off? Two weeks off. A lot mm-hmm. has happened over the past two weeks. A lot of stuff we haven't covered. And there's going to be stuff in this episode that is left off because there's just so much stuff that we have to cover. So to give you guys a rundown, we're going to talk about the NBA and the playoffs because obviously that's the most prominent thing. We're going to jump to the MLB. There's a big controversy going on right now. Then we're going to jump into some golf. And hopefully at the end we'll have a little bit of time for tennis because we are a closet tennis show. Why don't we, so, why don't we just cover right now? I mean, we can, if you'd like, if you want to squeeze it in at the beginning. It won't quick, be very long. We're a tennis show, so quick congratulations, Novak Djokovic, winning the 2021 French Open. Absolutely. And the, uh, the thing that is going to be interesting is the next Grand Slam that is coming up is Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And if Djokovic wins that one, and this was a conversation that I heard taking, that took place on ESPN today, if Djokovic wins then we will have three active players, the three greatest players in men's tennis history, with each of them having 20 Grand Slam wins. So that would be Djokovic, Dahl, and Federer. And the main topic of the conversation that I heard today is what is the comparison from another sport to that? Because you have the three goats of men's tennis all playing and competing I guess, against each other, all in the same era. So what else can you – has there ever been anything like that in a different sport? And it, it was – I mean, I heard some people, you know, comparing it to if Michael, Kobe, and Jordan were all playing at the same time. But again, um, I said Michael, Kobe, and Jordan. Can, I meant LeBron. But, can, you know, can Michael like, and Jordan LeBron? not play at the same time? Is that no, possible? Michael and Jordan cannot play at the same time. They cannot. Okay. Uh, but LeBron, Kobe, and Jordan. So they somebody said if they were all playing at the same time. But again, that's an if. That didn't actually I think, uh, happen. The, when Jordan was first coming out, maybe when he won his MVP, but even then it's a little later in Bird and Magic's career. But I think that's the closest thing in American sports when you have Magic and Larry winning championships and then Jordan was just coming up. Um, I think the closest thing would be, geez, I, you can't even say golf because golf's the closest format to what tennis brings. Mm-hmm. But Tiger was in such a twilight of his career when yeah. Rory and Brooks maybe well, even came up or Phil was around, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm thinking of Phil. In time, Tiger was the goat like there was no second goat in golf yeah. and tiger was mm. at his peak so that in that sense like jack would have to be playing when tiger oh, was playing for sure but again that's all that's also an if and because they weren't actually together so in terms of like i don't know the three greatest players in a sport it it may have never happened i mean sam you know more about soccer can you think of anything in in soccer that might 
Well, the fact that Messi and Ronaldo, I think Messi and Ronaldo are widely considered the greatest two players of all time. Congratulations to Ronaldo as well. He um, he now has 11 goals in uh, the European Cup, which is the most all time uh, in, the, in the Euros. Yeah, I think so. I'd like to think so. Oh, I don't think awesome. anyone listens to this, Ben, but I like to oh, imagine shit. that someone does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's congratulated him. But um, continue, sorry. Uh, we'll just add at Cristiano Ronaldo, and it'll come yeah. up on his feed, yeah, you know? absolutely. But the fact that Messi and Ronaldo are both playing at the same time, is ma- it's got to be the closest thing, but there's no third right. that comes up. What about in baseball, in the history of baseball? Is there mm-hmm. somewhere, and obviously you guys have a better idea of the, the history of baseball than I do, but. Mm. No? No, yeah. Like you, I, I guess. Well, back then with Babe Ruth, like Lou Gehrig, and like Willie Mays playing at the same time. Yeah, that's the closest thing. Yeah, I, I think I. It it really just boils down to men's tennis is in a really special place right now and has been for such a long time because these guys have been around for a very long time and Djokovic is the youngest out of all of them and may have the best shot to have the most at the end. Do you think but, he'll catch Federer? I mean, so Djokovic would have to win one more major to tie Nadal and Federer at 20. So they'd all have 20. But it'd be a matter of who we think is going to win the most after that. Now, obviously, Djokovic still has to win the most. And time is on his side. And I don't know how much longer we think Federer is going to play. Um, I don't actually know how old Rafa is. I think he's 36. Let's see. Rafa Nadal, he is 35 years old. Oh, that's not bad. He's got uh, at least three more French Opens in him. Yeah, and then Djokovic is 34. 34. And Fed's got to be, I mean, he's got to be 38, 39. He's 39 years old. 39 Jeez. years old. So. But, yeah, so men's tennis is in a special place right now and has been for a really long time and Hopefully, hopefully, honestly, I really am pulling for Djokovic at Wimbledon because I think it'd be great to have all three of them tied at 20. It'd mm-hmm. just be an interesting, you know, interesting thing to say and an interesting note uh, in the sports world history book. So, Wimbledon is in, um, is it two, three weeks? Two or three weeks. I just had it up. Um, I think it starts in like June 26th, something like that. Um it ends around the early parts of July. So it's coming up quickly. Um, all right. So anybody else got anything for tennis? Ben, no? you got anything? I know you're a big tennis guy. Yeah. You know, I'm thrilled that this is a tennis podcast. Um, <laughs> but I can't tell you the last tennis shot. Is that is that Would that be correct? Tennis, tennis hit, tennis match? I don't know. So, I haven't watched the tennis play in years. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. moving on. There you go. <laughs> moving on. All right, so let's jump to the NBA. There are so many different places that we can start right now. As we're filming this podcast, the Milwaukee Bucks are playing the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden came back, and it is currently 56 to 43. Milwaukee is up with two minutes left in the first half. So, 
again, a lot has transpired. I don't need to recap everything because if you are listening to this, I'm sure you have a pretty basic understanding of what is going on in the playoffs at the moment. Here's one thing that I wanted to talk about. I, I don't know if you guys were listening but or have seen the list, but Jalen Rose came on um, – I don't remember which sports platform he was on, but he listed his top five players under the age of 25 years old. They were all in the playoffs this year, all of them. Uh Um, So that's why I found this list really, really intriguing and really relevant right now to the NBA, to the NBA, because with LeBron being out and Steph being out, two of the most famous, well-known and high profile players in the league, they're, pretty late into their careers. Maybe not Steph, but LeBron is. So they're kind of moving their – they're going to be moving their way out over the next couple of years, and you have these new brand-new stars who are coming in, and all five of them on this list were in the playoffs. So I'm going to read you guys the list, and I want to get your reaction and see if there's anybody that he left off, uh, most notably um, Fox. So <laughs> uh, number five, he put Trey Young. Number four, he put Devin Booker. Number three, he put Donovan Mitchell. Two was Jason Tatum, and one is Luca. The most notable person off this list is Zion Williamson, who is 20 years old. I think John Morant, too. John Morant, also off that list. Now, it's a top five, so there's only room yeah, for five for sure. of them. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I want to get your guys' opinion, and Ben, I'll start with you first because you mentioned Ja. Do you agree with that list? And if not, where would you move people or move people out? I don't know. I, I mean, like, I do in the sense that, like – I don't know. I don't like the Devin Booker spot. I think Jock slides in there. Interesting. Um, but, I mean, shoot. Like, if Fox wants any national recognition, make the damn playoffs, man. That's yeah. that's it, right? Like, yeah. if, if, you know, not just the Kings, but if he wants to be taken seriously in this league, make the playoffs. Like, people weren't talking about Memphis a month before the playoffs, but, you know – Holy hell, John Moran's one of the best point guards in our game. He's going to be a young star, but that's because they won two playing games and they had a first round series. You know, the you know they got a they had a national stage for a week and a half, and he's you know I would say ahead of Fox and probably most national rankings of top young point guards. For sure, for sure. Sam, what what about you? Do you agree with the list? Is there anybody who you would have taken off or put on? So five was Trey Young. Five was Trey Young. I have been – this has been a point of contention for me and my roommates as we've talked. They've been saying, oh, wow, Trey Young is so great. But Fox has been outplaying him this whole year. And it's just the fact that not a lot of people see a lot of Sacramento Kings games. Like, my roommates don't even know how good of a defender Fox is. But Fox is taking the best perimeter player on defense every single night. And he's, he – improved so much on the defensive end where he's now using his quickness to stay in front of guys and he's not fouling a lot. Like, is Fox ever in foul trouble in any game? This guy carried them on the defensive side, carried them on the offensive side. Well, relative success on the defensive side because the Kings didn't have a lot of success on that end. But this dude is better than Trey Young, better than John Morant, but those guys are sliding in front of him because they made the playoffs, to your point, Ben. I think that is... It's egregious to me because he's such a individually better player than those guys are and deserves much more recognition than he, than he gets Um, for Zion. I don't know. I don't know, Ben, uh, what, what you think about Devin Booker 
the dude looks legit this year. I think he is just supporting that claim that he's one of the best young players in the NBA, how he's – this is his first playoff run, and he looks totally undeterred from the moment. And he looks – he's just rising up and leading this Phoenix Suns team. I don't know. He deserves credit for it. Maybe Tatum's a little too high at this point, but Luka for sure is number one. So to meant to go back to your Trey Young and De'Aaron Fox and you know how how they both have played this season. So I'll just read you Trey Young's stats from this season, and then I'll read you Fox's. So for the 2021 season, Trey Young averaged 25.3 points per game, uh, four rebounds per game, and 9.4 assists. He was shooting 43% from the field, and he was shooting 34% from the three-point line. Fox also averaged 25 points a game. It was 25.2 instead of 25.3. We'll call that a wash. Trey Young was averaging 3.9 rebounds a game. Fox was averaging 3.5. Trey was averaging 9.4 assists. Fox was averaging 7.2. However, Trey Young was averaging 43% from the field. De'Aaron was averaging 47% from the field, and they were both averaging about the same from the three-point line. De'Aaron was averaging, from what it looks, 32% from the three-point line, and Trey was averaging 34% from the three-point line. So, I mean, Trey's got a stat above De'Aaron. De'Aaron has a stat above Trey. But for all things considered, they're about the same. Yeah, but check it out. (laughs) Who's in the playoffs? Exactly. (laughs) And then that's that's, that goes goes back to your point. It all comes down to winning games. Like, if I'm, I'm sure De'Aaron doesn't give a fuck about this Jalen Rose list, right? Probably not. But like, if you like, if as fans, if you want your players to make these lists, like they're all on the East Coast, man. Why would they want to stay up at, you know, ten o'clock at night to watch a Sacramento Kings game unless they're good, right? Like you have to keep these people paying attention. Yeah. Didn't get a single nationally televised game this year. So, no, but why would they? They're dude, the bottom dweller. They're. 15 years without a playoff appearance like <laughs> but they would have it would have changed if they got in the playoffs for sure yeah I, again and they can flex the schedule if the kings have an unbelievably hot first half of the season i guarantee you you know next year guarantee you you'll see some kings games on tnt or espn from time to time but they're not going to schedule them at the beginning of a year there's no way do you so i i think we're getting a little king heavy which yeah, is sorry. totally natural with <laughs> yeah. um with, <laughs> with kings us. fans yeah um I don't know if that's totally fair this late in the year to be talking about the Sacramento Kings. No. Do you guys think Luca easily is the top of this list? I think in everyone's eyes. Do you think no. he's a top five player right now? Yeah, they just came out with the first team all league. He made it again. So he's a top five player. I no, I do, I do not. You don't you think don't he's, think a, he's top a top five? five? Well, here's – so I'm going back to your original question the original question of do I, do I think he's easily number one on this list? I don't think it's that easy. Um, and the reason why is because, and maybe this is just recency bias, but we were talking about what well, we weren't talking about, but there was a conversation that was brought up after the Mavericks lost in the playoffs and the disappearance, quote-unquote, of Kristaps Porzingis. Uh-huh. And there was this idea that part of the reason why 
he had disappeared the way that he did is because Luca is so incredibly ball dominant. Now, that there's there's a good and a bad with that because it's almost like at least with that team, it feels like if it's not going to be Luca, then who else is it going to be? Really, in that sense. But at the same time, if you're going to be the person who's handling the ball like that, you have to. The next step for Luca is going to have to be making Kristaps Porzingis maybe the player that we all thought he was going to be, or in being able to work with more people instead of just doing it totally alone. So in terms of in terms of who of these five is the most gifted offensive player. Yes, Luca is by far number one on this list. And I'm not even saying he shouldn't be number one on this list. But I don't necessarily think it's a hundred percent a runaway. Um I think Well who is, who would you contend? So the other the only the other person that I would put up there would I honestly think would be Mitchell. With the way that he's been playing, um I understand that he has a much better team around him than Luca, but he has been I mean you you look at what he's been doing in the playoffs and averaging you know thirty points per game. He is he does a very good job at incorporating his teammates. I understand he's not as unreliable on defense as Luca as well. Um, I think Mitchell should be getting more credit for that as well. I think Booker should be a little bit higher. I know Ben's not going to like that, but I think Booker should be higher than that as well. Um, so you're sliding down, Jason Tatum. I would slide Tatum down. Yeah, I would. Um, and I do think that Zion got snubbed a little bit. I really do. I, and maybe it's too early to tell. I think part of the reason why Zion was left off of this list is because, not because of his skill set. I mean, I'm looking at his stats right here. He has 20. He's been last last season. He averaged. I should say this season. He averaged 27 points per game on 61% shooting, seven rebounds a game, and 3.7 assists per game. I think the only caveat to him, though, is his health. But I think if you could guarantee that Zion is going to be healthy for an entire season, which is an if, I don't know. I'd have a really tough time um, not including him on this list or putting him damn near the top with Luka as well. But, you know, like I said, the big caveat with him is is his health. Uh, but I think the next step for Luka is going to be learning how to bring everybody else along with him as well. Is that fair to say? Sam, go ahead. But can you repeat it? Someone called yeah, me. I'll, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think it, I mean, Jason, I think it's fair to say that. Um, and I think, I mean, shoot, what, he's been in the league three years? This is third yeah. year? Yeah, I mean, it's a progression for sure. For sure. Um, and, and I think it would help if they got – maybe some more guys around him. I mean, yeah. honestly, I can't really tell you outside of poor Zingas and who else was really there for the Mavs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. I, he can totally make those guys around him better. And I think we saw it in the playoffs a little bit against the Clippers. It was kind of like once he got rid of the ball, he just kind of stayed at the top of the key. He didn't really mm-hmm. or the top of the three point line. He just kind of stood there. really didn't do much. So yeah, I think it's a total progression in this game. Um, and you know, that will totally help the Mavs, but I think they just, they need some guys around him that aren't Porzingis. Tim, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the yeah, other Tim one. Hardaway Jr. Yeah. He, he had a really good series, but yeah, I mean, when you're, I mean, Tim could be a good, uh, I say Tim like I know him. Um, is a, boy. yeah, it's a good, it's a good second option, but if Kristaps was supposed to be that second option and 
I don't know. I think with with Luca dominating the ball the way that he did, it didn't allow it didn't allow Kristaps to to do what he's good at and and you know have the ball as much as maybe he should. What so, what is Kristaps good at? What do you mean? <laughs> like just like what what is he good at? What game day street clothes outfits? <laughs> <laughs> like he's supposed to be a really good shooter as a seven footer, and he just wasn't making shots this year. That's not Luca's fault. No, that's not Luca's fault, and I'm not. I'm not saying that it is Luca's fault. But what I'm saying is, is that there comes a point where, as if you're going to be that ball dominant, sometimes you have to create those open and easy shots for your teammates. So, I I I want to push back a little bit because I feel like this is a a little unfair of a criticism to make for a guy. Is he ball dominant? Yes, because he's the best player on the dang court. Mm-hmm. For sure. In that series, Luka Doncic was the best player on the court. Tim Hardaway Jr. had probably was playing the best basketball he's ever played Oh yeah, in that series. Is that not a testament to Luka? Also, forcing, I mean, he's getting double teamed every single play. He's getting Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, two of the best premier, uh, perimeter defenders in the NBA, on him every single play which allows other guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Finney Smith to go off. And even Jalen Brunson had success. Like Dallas was having so much success and making so many shots early in that early in that series and sort of through that series to really contend with a good L.A. Clippers team that now is two and two against Donovan Mitchell's team. Like that yeah. was not that was a tall task to ask. And you're, I was watching games that Luca, I think he scored like might have had like the first 15 of Dallas's 20 points in a first quarter. And it's like, this, this guy is just crazy good. He is. And no one can stop him. For sure. But what I'm saying is not everybody is, is perfect. And if there's something that I have to point out in the way that he can progress, I think that would be the way that he would, that, I mean, that would be something that he should, I'm not saying what he should or shouldn't do, but that would be his next progression in my in my mind, look at another player in the league who's ball dominant, i.e. James Harden. Look what he did when he went to Brooklyn. You know, he totally changed when he went to Brooklyn. He was still averaging, you know, a hefty amount of points, but his assist numbers went way up, and he was, you know, averaging 10, 15 assists a game. And there was something to be said about how much he was involving everybody else, but yet he was still able to get his. Now, there are games, at least with the makeup of, you know, Dallas, in which Luka's going to have to go, for 30, for 40, for 50. And I don't think that that's going to be a problem for him. But I don't know if it necessarily has to be an every an every game thing. And especially when you get into the playoffs, when a team knows that you can do that, they're going to shut you out. So you have to find a way to get around that in some way. Okay, maybe I'm not going to score 30 points a game, but I can have 20 and then get 15 assists. And then, boom, that's where we'll make up our points in that in that sense. Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying, Jason. Like the the James Harden um, when he was in Houston before Chris Paul even showed up or Russell Westbrook showed up, where he's taken up like 30 shots a game, isn't a winning formula. But the difference in the James Harden this year and before is that he's playing with two guys that are on equal footing with him. Luca, Kristaps this year did not warrant getting the ball a lot. He just wasn't playing well. Even 
uh, Boban was at some points a better fit on to have on the court than Kristaps was. That's how ineffective he was being. So I don't think you can punish a guy and say, hey, if he's the best option for that team to get a bucket every time down, then he should be taking that shot. Well, I'm not I'm not trying to punish him in that sense. I'm just saying that if if we're if we're looking to if we're looking to, you know, really dive deep into this list and look at the things that these players do well and, and don't do well, um, I'm just trying to look at, you know, something because we know what Luca can do well. He can pretty much do everything well, minus play defense. Um, but uh, you know, if we're if we're really going to nitpick these guys' games and try to think of our own list and whatnot, then that would be something that I would point as a negative to Luca, even though there's a ridiculous amount of over just an overwhelming amount of positives for Luca. I do want to look at the other side, and that's the first thing that I jump to for the other side. But you could say any, but you could say you know a, a, a number a number of negative things about all of these guys. Ben, uh, who you got? Who you got winning the NBA championship? With the I got the Bucks. Bucks are my squad. You've been oh you've been riding with them the whole year. No, just decided to ride with them now. <laughs> <laughs> so right now we're looking at the series Utah and the Clippers. They're tied at two two. Phoenix swept Denver, so they're moving on. Shock. <laughs> Philly and Atlanta. They're tied two two. Atlanta got that game last night, which was huge for them. And then obviously Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Brooklyn are playing right now. So we got 2-2-2-2-2-2 in three different series. So out of all of these three series right now, which one do you guys, Sam, I'll start with you. Which one do you going forward do you think is the most interesting? Oh, it's got to be the Brooklyn-Milwaukee one. How Brooklyn controlled the first two games and now Milwaukee's seemingly controlled the last three. It's just such a seesaw affair of two really good teams in the NBA, two title contenders, and how the momentum's been shifting so much. You don't really know who's going to wake up and really take control of that series. Um, The Atlanta-Philly one, I think Philly just needs to get healthy, it seems like. Isn't Joel a little hobbled? Yeah. That's why they're – that's what's kind of keeping Atlanta in. I mean, Atlanta's had a great year this year, but Philly should win that series. And then the the Utah Clippers one, I don't know. I just feel like the Clippers are primed to underachieve once again. And Utah, if they can get Mike Conley back, then they might take control of that series. So I'm going to push back on that Lakers and Utah thing. I don't know how – Clippers. I don't – oh, yeah, sorry. I'm looking at the entire bracket right now. (laughs) Um, So the – the Clippers Utah thing. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I don't know how deeply you guys watched the uh, the last two games with the Clippers and the Jazz, but that have been blowouts. They have been absolute blowouts, and it is a testament to the Clippers defense that they are playing right now on Utah. I was watching that game last night, and I remember I texted Josh and I asked him. I said, "Dude, are you watching this game?" The Clippers put on a defensive showcase. It was insane. They were locked in from the very, very beginning. Paul George has been playing his best basketball in a while, in the playoffs at least. Um, They were locked in defensively. Kawhi has been locked in defensively all, all playoffs. Patrick Beverly even has been playing well. Uh, Morris has been playing well. They've all been playing really well. They just, I understand that they're the Clippers, and there is this idea that 
you know, they're this underachieving team and that's what they've always been and that's what they're always going to be. But I don't know. The last couple games that I've seen them played, it seems like a switch has flipped and I hope I'm not wrong. I really hope I'm not wrong. Um, But they, on the defensive end, they have just been so locked in that it's made the offensive end seem like just an absolute breeze and cakewalk for them. If Paul George plays the way that he plays or has been playing and Kawhi Leonard keeps the streak keeps the streak that he has been on, I don't see why the Clippers w- wouldn't beat Utah and potentially even beat Phoenix as well. Phoenix has been playing amazing, and honestly, it'd be cool to see Chris Paul get to the finals. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up on the Clippers yet because they – seem to have flipped the switch, especially on the defensive end. They have been stifling, really. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, what you think, Ben? Yeah, um, I think – I mean, I agree with you, Sam, that the Bucks brooklyn series is probably the most intriguing right now out of the three remaining. But um, I think this Clippers-Jazz series is going to be a huge – I mean, obviously, but, like, Matchup-wise for the Suns, I believe I read that the Clippers were 3-0 and against them this year. And I know that playoffs is much different than regular season. Um, but I don't know. Something about the NBA and matchups, and you just get teams like the Kings this year were undefeated against the Mavericks, the Mavs. And it's just weird how it works like that. Um, but I don't know. I really love where the NBA is at right now in the sense that it isn't necessarily a Le- a LeBron or a Steph. I think it's kind of cool that we could possibly have like a Milwaukee, um, Atlanta Sixers, you know, Suns, Jazz Clippers, like all those teams have a chance to play for an NBA championship. Um, And there's not necessarily like these super teams. Like obviously the Nets are still that super team out there, but they're banged up quite a bit. So I don't know. I just, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I love seeing kind of this new blood kind of rise to the top. And we're getting something that, you know, is much different than the last 10 years was in the NBA when it comes to the playoffs. So that's kind of got me juiced going into the uh, conference finals. I agree. I agree. And you talk about in terms of matchups for the Suns, let's say let's say the Clippers do move on and they play the Suns. I think the Clippers defensively have a really good philosophy for sticking with the Suns. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how how deeply you've been watching them, but it seems like their philosophy is they switch everything. Every every screen, they switch, and all five players can guard all five positions. When you have uh, Morris, Leonard, Batum, George, and Reggie Jackson, there really isn't a giant defensive liability on that starting five. The only thing that I would have concern about if they do come up, if they do beat the Jazz and they do play Phoenix – then you have DeAndre Ayton to contend with. But I think they can just bring in Zubox to uh, maybe for Batum at that point, potentially. But Batum would, you know, he, he also on the offensive end can spread it out as well. So I think defensively, I think the Suns match up kind of poorly with the Clippers, assuming that the Clippers do move on. I think that's a really good matchup for the Clippers because they can switch everything and they do switch everything as well. You 
put Kawhi Leonard on Booker, and then, you know, if you switch, boom, now you have Paul George on you, and that's not a lot easier. Even Reggie Jackson is a good defender. Then they just bring in Patrick Beverly off the bench, and he'll just run around with you. Even Terrence Mann has been really good off the bench as well. So I feel like the Clippers, like I said, I've turned the corner, and they're going to be a really tough matchup for Phoenix if they get to that point. They obviously have to get through Utah and the health of, well, even Donovan Mitchell. But, yes, Mike Conley is going to be a huge huge thing for that series as well um i think the milwaukee brooklyn one is only interesting in not only interesting but the main reason why that's interesting is just because of the health of everybody did you guys see the ankle turn with Kyrie? that was so hard to watch yeah that was kind of gross i guess he's not expected to come back this series i i wouldn't i wouldn't think so i harden wasn't even necessarily expected to be back. He was doubtful before. This I think game. Harden's playing today. He is. Yeah, he's playing. Yeah. He is. Um, so let's say, let's, for, uh, you said that Kyrie's not coming back, so let's just say that he really isn't coming back. What do you think Brooklyn's chances of winning this series are, assuming that it's just going to be KD and a potential 70 or 80% James Harden? Dan Ben, I'll go to you. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Who's around them, right? <laughs> like, again, yeah. you can have all the superstars in the world, but, you know, if they're not out there, it doesn't mean shit for you. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, personally, if right now the Nets are losing by 14, I believe, I'm sure it's updating as it goes, so I might be a little bit behind. But anyways, they're getting their asses kicked at home right now. It's pretty early in the third um i mean they lose this game you go back to milwaukee with a banged up team you know i don't know it doesn't seem it doesn't seem good i mean three bucks have won three in a row if they win tonight it's a tough game to win especially on the road in milwaukee so sam i i think it's i think it's definitely still possible um they did win they've won two games this series I think everyone forgets that this team actually thoroughly, thoroughly dominated Milwaukee in the first two games. Uh, I even think James Harden is a little better option for KD and the Nets at this point than Kyrie even was. Uh, if you can get if you can get an eighty percent James Harden that can give you twenty and maybe give you ten assists, then and KD is forced to go for forty. I think Brooklyn still has a chance in this series. Yeah, I mean, tonight, I'm just looking at the box score right now. Harden is 1 of 8 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3. He's got 3 points. That's why they're losing by 14, 13. Do they have, um, do they have two days off? I think so. Because it's a travel? Yeah, I think you get two days off. So, yeah, I mean, I agree, Sam. I feel like if you get, you know, a, a semi-healthy James Harden, then, yeah, of course you've got a shot to win two games. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you can't even get really a healthy James Harden, it doesn't mean anything to trot him out there. If he's going to give you 10, uh, right. You know, they're shooting 38% as a team. That's, it's just not going to get it done. 31 no. from, from three. It's, it's tough. It really does feel like though, that Milwaukee has found how to guard this team. Mm-hmm. PJ Tucker's their guy, man. I love really watching is. him play defense. Yeah. Now, the last game, there was the whole was was there a level of physicality that was too much um, in today's NBA? And to that, I just say no, no. <laughs> like I, like I understand. 
the reason why it seemed so bad was because the NBA is so soft. So anything, anything, it, it's it's easy to in today's NBA go, oh yeah, but that's over the that's over the line. But if you really if you really watch it, it's really not. It's just playing um, hard basketball, man. Yeah, like it's it, the the league is just soft. So everything, anything that deviates from what I guess this season has seemed like for you know, teams playing defense will seem drastic. Um, and especially when you have, you know, PJ Tucker, who's taking it to, you know, for most people, the quote unquote extreme, but it's really not. He's just playing hard defense. Newsflash, everybody. That's what hard defense looks like. Um, you don't know what it looks like because NBA players don't usually play that way until the playoffs. Um, and even so there are certain players who really will only give you that, um, uh, you know, on, on certain games, but PJ Tucker doesn't, Every night. Now, granted, he has to guard Durant, so if you slack off, then he's going to, you know, drill it in your face. But, no, P.J. Tucker did not play too hard of defense. The refs were just – they were just letting him, letting him play, as they should, as they should. Um, all right, so Philly Atlanta series, we mentioned that a little bit. We don't have to dive too deeply into that. I've been having fun watching Atlanta. Uh, I agree with you, Sam. A healthy Philly should absolutely win that series. Yeah. Uh, but again, Milwaukee and wouldn't it be, wouldn't it, that would stink in the sense that I think Brooklyn and Philadelphia was the matchup people wanted to see. And it wouldn't be a disappointment if Milwaukee's there. I've been rooting for, for Milwaukee as well, just like you've been. Um, Heck yeah. And I really want to see Giannis get there. But Those small markets. But yeah, but that would, <laughs> but that would, that would really stink if, Philly and Brooklyn both get derailed, both because of injuries. That that would that would really I mean because I would love to watch Brooklyn lose, but I don't want to watch them lose because they're all hurt. You know. Yeah, I think that plays into just the crazy schedule this year was. I don't know. And then the last question that I have for you, because you just mentioned small markets, so it popped into my head. If we get a Phoenix, Milwaukee. NBA Finals. I, I think that would be a really interesting finals for basketball purists. Yeah, I would be knee deep into that. I think that'd be a great series. But it's if we're talking have the to... lowest ratings of any <laughs> NBA but, Finals, but I don't think so. I yeah, right, and so come it's funny, on, it's what? Because it is a small market, but again, you have a storyline of okay, Giannis is here finally, and then Chris Paul is here finally. Yeah. Oh, I. You know, I think it's cool. Why I think I'm pulling so hard for Milwaukee is because it kind of – and why I want them to win so bad is that, like, it's like a, almost a blueprint for any other small market, right? Like, they drafted right. They oh, got they drafted so well. Yeah. You know, they got their superstar, their Hall of Famer, basically. They signed him. They kept him. And they're fucking killing it, feels like, in free agency. They're – Getting guys, they're going Drew, after the right players, right, right, yeah. and they're patient, man. Like there is something to say of letting a coach figure it out. Like mm-hmm. you know, we can have that discussion about um, oh, why am I forgetting his name? But not Buck. What's the coach of Milwaukee? Oh, Mike, 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 Bo- Bo- Mike Bo- yeah, yeah. Bo- like you know, I've been hearing stuff when I've watched the games that people aren't thrilled with him in Milwaukee, but like there's something, you know, to be said of being patient. And like, it just feels like if Milwaukee can pull it off this year, it's 
a huge thing for all these other small markets to be like, okay, like we can still do this, right? Like we don't have to Mm -hmm. spend a shit ton of cash and lose it all in one year, right? Like we don't need to go out and get three superstars and, you know, pay them one year contracts. And then if we do it great, like a Toronto, right? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like it just, that to me would be huge. And that's, I think why I'm pulling from so hard. Yeah. Well, you think, think about it too. Um, Milwaukee is that conversation, but Milwaukee is so close to Golden State and what they created before pre KD, right? Because yeah. you got you drafted Steph, yeah. you drafted Clay, who was like thirteenth pick. You have you had Draymond, who was I think in the second round, right? Um, which yeah. are, are great picks, great value picks at those positions, you got Chris Middleton for this team who's playing way above where he was drafted. Giannis is playing astronomically above where he was drafted. Oh, God. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. But who's that guy coming off the Milwaukee bench? Valentine? No, no, no. Oh, God. He was like a second-round draft No, DiVincenzo, I mean. No, not Who's that second-round draft pick that won Rookie of the Year? Malcolm Brogdon? Yeah. A couple years ago? Maybe. I don't know. But, yes. Is he still on the team? I believe so. But I think he's getting some run. Because they but, drafted they drafted Brogdon, and he has turned into oh, such a good player. It might be. I, I Brogdon's know. not on the uh, – he's not – No, on I know. The, I know he's uh, not. But that, that's still yeah. attributed to how well they've been able to draft. Yeah. They've gotten guys – they've been gotten plug-in guys like Thon Maker. Um, uh, what's the dude's uh, – Connington. Connington, mm-hmm. DiVincenzo. And then finally – this is like the most big market move they could have done was go out and get Drew Holiday. That was the only big market thing, aggressive move that they did. They got all these other pieces that that are playing above their value or their perceived value. And I guess that is the blueprint for a small market team. And it's a thing that Sacramento hasn't been able to do for and right, and 14 I, years. And the P.J. Tucker um, mm-hmm. at the trade deadline too, you know, right? Like – Probably not going to have him around, but, like, still, that was the right move at the right time, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that's what's kind of pushing them over the edge this year. So, they did it right, you know. They they killed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me personally, for the West, Utah, the Clippers, and Phoenix, I wouldn't mind seeing any of those teams in the finals. And I think in the East, I agree with you, Ben. I, I really just want to see Milwaukee. Um out out of all of those. We spent a lot of time on the NBA playoffs, rightfully so. It's the biggest thing going on right now in terms of magnitude for actual sports being played. Um, Dang, rip rip tennis. (laughs) We're talking about national run here. (laughs) Um, Just in terms of national media. Um, But there is something else that's going on right now in a different sports league in the MLB that is equally significant, but for a different reason, really. So, there, and again, you guys are going to have to help me along with this. Baseball is not my first sport. It's not my first love. But from everything that I've heard, there's a substance that pitchers are using. Um, I don't know if it's on baseballs or more just on – it's used for grip, really. And I think the name was Spider Tack. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, correct. Um, and with this, it has helped them get better spin rate on their, uh, on their pitches mm-hmm. now. I'm not a baseball not a boy, Jason. enthusiast. Um, so, Ben, as somebody who played the sport for a really long time, 
can you at least give like a you know four dummies explanation of why spin rate is so important yeah i mean really the simple answer to that is if you're throwing a curveball that spins more it's gonna break more it's gonna be harder to hit um so yeah i think personally i think this is the right thing well oh god i don't even know where to go with this i mean sam i think this is just stupid well, we have to. Well, hang on. So we have to oh, back sorry. up a little. We have to yeah. back up a little bit because we did. We got to really explain what's what's going on. The yeah, MLB right do. now is is cracking down on these pitchers who are using spider attack because the pitching numbers are just so. Well, it's not just the pitching numbers, but the batting average in the league is down significantly, which is kind of contradictory to what the MLB was trying to do in the first place when they kind of changed up the baseballs. Was it last season or this season? They got rid of um, those, though. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to make is that the efforts to increase offensive numbers have – it's not happening because the pitchers are just having an outrageous season, especially Jacob mm-hmm. DeGrom, which we can go into later. Well, um, especially Kevin Gosman. Come on, dude. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so they're cracking down on this because they're trying to increase offensive numbers. The pitchers are just – it seems like they have an outrageous advantage using well, this substance. So right now the MLB is is trying to figure out a way to just completely get rid of it, and they're doing it now. Like they're yeah. they are not waiting. Um, so you, you guys again, you guys will have a better understanding of this than I will. So Ben, Sam, whichever one you want to start um, on this with your opinion, uh, go ahead. Well, I think you've nailed the head. I I don't think it is. On the side of Major League Baseball, I don't think they necessarily are doing this because offensive numbers are down. I think it's more of a, a fair play sort of stance. That if it comes out that pitchers have an unfair advantage to where they're throwing 100 and that fastball has high movement on it to where guys are now like, well, this is impossible. I think that's the thing that they're really trying to avoid. Um and it that this foreign substance tag is thrown around. I think that just gives like a negative connotation that it's cheating, and it's just a thing that baseball is wholeheartedly trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Ben, yeah, I mean, I think there are ways to go about this that are much different and I think that there are ways that baseball can adjust the game than just kind of having this weird almost kind of feels like TSA policy right we're like oh we're gonna have our umpire come out and check you you know mm-hmm. like and I and like it's just this one substance right I feel like in most cases when I'm playing when I was playing baseball I only thing I care about is not getting hit really like I don't want to get drilled. And these guys are throwing 95 plus and I'm okay. If some pitcher needs a little pine tar in his glove to maybe grip the ball better, but the spin rate from pine tar is nowhere near as high. Right. Mm -hmm. We're getting rid of all of that. And I think, I don't know. I, I think we're, I think the MLB is trying to put a bandaid over a much bigger problem that it's seeing in the game. Um, I'm trying to find this stat. It's an unbelievable stat. So if you want to try to chime in a little bit, Sam. So so there are things that are currently allowed 
like major league baseball does a lot you, you talk about the pine tar isn't the um the chalk the rosin get, they, bag yeah rosin bag right isn't that used for grip as well like there's yep. things that you can put on the that are designed to be put on the baseball that major league baseball has allowed to be a thing i'm sure this spider tack stuff maybe 10 years ago if it was around was yeah. totally completely legal right and and, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to. Well, it's just, I just think it's it's funny now that it's coming out like before it was legal, but now it's like holy cow, this is destroying baseball. Like, yeah, I think you're going to allude to Ben. There's things inherently wrong with the game of baseball that have been going on. Like baseball is such a traditional sport that has so many things being passed down from veteran pitchers to young guys and mm-hmm. yada 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 to get an advantage in the game. That there's probably so many things in baseball that is wrong that you just can't snap your fingers and fix. And I think that's what the MLB is trying to do. And, and this, so here's, I found the, I found the stat and this is all the divisions in baseball. So you've got the NL East, right? The Mm -hmm. NL East has 444 more strikeouts than hits. The NL central has 424 more strikeouts. Is that just this year? Yeah. Just this year. The NL West has 353 more strikeouts than hits. The AL Central has 324 more strikeouts than hits. The AL East has 296 more strikeouts than hits. Hits, and the AL West is 275 more strikeouts than hits. Yeah, there's your problem, man. Like, okay, great, yes, you know, we're getting rid of one thing, but let's talk about maybe lowering the mound a little bit. Let's talk about. I don't Do you know. think pitchers are too dominant? Is that what it oh, is? Oh, dude, I think yeah, and I think I think the shift is playing into it. Oh, big, big, huge. And I think that's, if you want to make a real change to how the sport, you know, should be played and kind of bring back excitement, because I've watched some Giants games this last week, and I've watched games where both teams combined have seven hits, and that's just a boring baseball game to watch, especially on TV, right? Oh, you watched the, you watched the the National Series? Yeah, I watched, yeah, it was like a (laughs) one-nothing game, and I think the Giants had three hits and the Nats had two, and it's just like. You know, like I saw a lot of balls that were hit that would have been base hits eight years ago, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so part of me is like, okay, great. You know, I think that's the right thing to do for the MLB. I think it's weird how we're going about it. I think having umpires having to check, you know, like I said, like a TSA agent, you know, at the airport, like, okay, you know, like I'm basically just going to look at all your stuff really quick, you know, in the middle of the yeah. game feels odd to me. Um, and part of me is like, you know, umpires probably don't care too much, right? <laughs> like, it's just mm-hmm. weird. But yeah, I think there are other areas in the game where they can actually make real change and they're kind of ignoring all of it. And they're well, hoping I, this fixes it all, which it won't. I, I kind of want to push back a little because in other sports, say a quarterback struggles reading against a zone, you would then not, as a league, want to protect that QB and his deficiencies in his game by then not allowing a team to play zone. Right. So I think the, the shifts I think are just smart. Like if you can pick up that a guy hits to right field 75% of the time and you want to take away those hits, I think that's just smart. Yeah. I'm okay with that, but I just get, I don't know. I get a little eerie when it's like just at one level if that makes sense 
Oh, is right? it not in the in the minors or it's, anything? I mean, it's kind of in the. But like, I'm talking about like when you're playing like high school college baseball. If you were to watch the College World Series, you won't see one shift. Yeah. And I think again, it you know I, I get that baseball is a billion dollar organization. Like they have all the tools and resources, and they're allowed to do this. I just also kind of feel silly in the sense too that like you know if you have a home run hitter in Stanton, right? Mm-hmm. but it's always fans will be like, why doesn't he just bunt? And it's like, man, the guy's getting paid over $300 million to bunt. <laughs> so like part of me is like, okay, like, yeah, we can shift, but like, let's make it where you can only have like almost like a line in the outfield, right? Like you can For have a second base guys. maybe. Yeah. But like you can have your, your infielder, you can't have more than four outfielders, right? Like your second baseman can't play a hundred feet you know, mm-hmm. into uh, right field. Like there's got to be like a, a necessarily like a line where there's a little bit of a gap because those guys hit the ball so hard that you can be playing, you know, like a hundred feet from where second base usually would be in right field. And you can still get a runner out, you know, four or five steps just because of a hard hit ball. Right. All right. So, and like, I think they can play around with that a little bit and I think you'll see more hits that way. And I'm not saying like you're a shortstop, you play shortstop, like let the shortstop move to where the ball is hit more for sure. But I don't know. I think we get, we're just losing that like purity of the game in a way. No, and totally. That's just my opinion. And I think, you know, this kind of puts a little bandaid over a much bigger issue. So, so one question that I have before we move on, because I want to make sure we have enough time for the golf thing at the end. I was, found some numbers and I wanted to ask you guys about this because there have already, there have been six no hitters as of May 21st um, in the MLB. Who's phone's rec- lighting up? The record. Um, I think that's mine. <laughs> wow. Jason, Mr. Popular. Uh, no, that's my family. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, so there have been six no hitters um, this season already. The record for a season is seven. It's been done four times, uh, 1990, 1991, 2012, and 2015. We're already at six. So with this controversy that has come that has come through the MLB, does this now in the history books, does this put a, I guess, dent or mark on if this season does break the no-hitter record, and let's say it breaks it by like, two or three games, uh, let's just say it reaches 10, say it reaches double digits, do you think people are going to look back and go, ah, well, that doesn't really count because the pitchers were using spider tack or we don't know who was using spider tack. We're just going to put a blanket over them all and say that they were all using it. So therefore, this is kind of a eh, record and people aren't going to look at it the same way. You know, I I don't know how you feel. I think it's all really honestly. Baseballs have will have this issue forever. Um, it's all personal opinion, right? Like if you're a purist of the game, like of course, right? You know, you're cheating. But it's kind of like, well, I mean, like if it's available to anyone and everyone's doing it, sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, if we can't seem to fix this situation, let's just make steroids legal fuck it you know like (laughs) like okay fine if you know our hitters can't hit let's just let them get big again and just swing out of their asses i don't care right like i don't know so uh, actually so 
I'm sorry, Sam, but I have to ask him this. So for people who took steroids during the steroid era, would you, would you let them into the Hall of Fame? Go ahead, Sam. All right. Oh, I thought you were asking Ben. Oh, sorry. I thought. It well, was... you can ask. You can answer too. I just since he mentioned that, I I, I had to ask. I think I think it's ridiculous that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens aren't in the Hall of Fame. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. I agree. But but we're definitely like a more. I don't want to say forgiving, or more like understanding generation. Like, I don't like we weren't around when. Uh, I, mean, I don't want to say favorite. I can't even think of like any eighties like. Greg Maddox, uh, oh Jesus! I mean, we're talking about we're talking about players and teams that we, that we weren't even alive to see, right? And baseball is such an older generation, well, an old like, sport. Yeah, the that, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, home run chase. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm talking about like before that, like some of the players, like uh, what's his name, uh, Mickey Mantle. Um, and then the other dude on the Yankees. Like, those guys will forever be in people's minds the home run champs, right? But we're, we weren't even around for that to be a thing. Like, all we know is, well, Barry Bonds has the most career home runs. Like, that's all that's all we know. And I think it's – like, our, our idea of the sport isn't tainted because of what they did because that's all we know. And, like, my thing, too, is, you know – I guarantee you, and he wasn't, he wasn't the only one doing it. And there were guys that were doing it probably even more. And they were fucking awful. They probably never even made it to the big leagues, right? <laughs> like, he still had to hit 700 goddamn home runs. Yeah, yeah, he still had to hit like, a baseball. He still had to put bat on ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe was he a little stronger? Sure, but like... He still but the skill is still there. Yeah, like it's... Yeah, the steroids didn't necessarily make him... I don't know... Like learn how, like learn how to hit a home run, right? You know, like it's yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's the old, it's the old, it's like the old saying, like if everyone's doing it, then isn't it an equal playing field at that point? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like if the pitcher and the batter both are taking a substance, they're both technically cheating. Then isn't it a fair playing field at that point? So let's just give batter steroids and keep a uh, spider tech for pitchers and we'll see where the league goes. Sure. Why not? I say, fuck <laughs> it. Let them do whatever they want at this point. Baseball needs something. And I say, just let the players go crazy. Oh, man. They should just bring in the, every single park can, can only be like three fifty max. Yeah, sure. Every wall. Why not? Do it for That'd a month. <laughs> Put out like those softball fences, right? Like yep. throw them out there. Like who cares? Like, <laughs> baseball needs to do something this isn't it this is a small part of it but this isn't just it right right that's where that's where i land on all of this as yeah. a whole. well lots of drama going on in baseball and we uh just to transition a little bit we have some other drama going on elsewhere uh before we get into the u.s open in golf we'll talk about two people who are going to be participating in that tournament i just want to get your guys' quick thoughts on uh what do you guys think of this Brooks and Bryson thing? This little feud going on. Do you think it's good for golf? Because personally, I think it's phenomenal. Love it. Yeah. Best thing golf's had since Tiger. So they here, they need to pair up uh, I Saturday was or just something. About, I was just about to ask. There is I heard on ESPN there was a column written by not I don't think it was an ESPN writer, but I heard it on ESPN mentioned that 
golf needs to pair them together this week. They have the they have the power to do it. They need to do it. And golf needs to stop acting like they're above other sports. You have oh. a great rivalry right now going on against two of the top players in, in the world at their sport. You put them together. Yeah. And you know what the USGA did? They tried. But again, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, they, the GA, did you yeah. hear about this, right? They yeah. called Bryson. Okay, and also let me just say how awesome it is to have such an – like Bryson is the biggest idiot and the worst villain ever. He's like so hateable, which is awesome. But anyways, him getting called and being like no, like he's handled this like for the last two weeks, this situation as worse as possible, right? <laughs> like with Brooks, like fans calling him Brooksy and him getting mad on that one video. And then and he, he got them kicked fans. out, right? And then he would start ejecting fans. And yeah. of course, that's going to make people want to do it even more. Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Best thing for golf right now is these two. So, going into the tournament, which starts on June 17th, I'll give you the odds on favorites to win. Let me ask, I'll just ask you and see if you guys agree. So, give me the top five. So, John Rahm opens as the odds-on favorite to win. Yeah. Bryson is number two. DJ is number three. Xander Shoffley is number four. And Brooks is number five. And then at six, you have Spieth. So, those are your one, two, three, four, five odds-on favorite to win. Mm-hmm. If I'm just asking you out of those five, who do you have the most confidence in winning? Sam, I'll start with you. Who would you pick out of those five? Well, I guess this kind of spoils um... – the picks that we're going to make, but I have, I, I want to see Brooks win. We just saw him play really well at the PGA championship. Uh, it seems like he's fully healthy and back. And this is a championship that he has won two times already in his career. I couldn't really find how well he's played at Torrey Pines itself, but the dude plays, it seems like his game gets better comparatively to the difficulty of the course that he's at and it's just the major feel for him too it blows my mind how he's been irrelevant basically all season but the Mm -hmm. majors and he's got an injury and it just i don't know being able to turn it on at the times you need it the most and in golf it's only four weeks a year is quite remarkable and just so impressive you know what the thing is too i think this this whole like this whole controversy or this, this back and forth between Bryson and Brooks, I think it just adds like more pressure and creates a more focused Brooks Kepka heading into this week. Like yeah. there is no way that guy may be the most competitive guy on tour followed closely, maybe by Bryson DeChambeau. There is no way that he's going to let Bryson DeChambeau shoot better than him on any yeah. given day. Yeah. And like, you know, when he was winning those, when he won the U S open and the PGA a couple of times, I just, it was hard for me to get behind him because it's like, he played off the sense of like, nah, dude, I don't give a shit about golf. Like golf is lame. It's boring. Like I'm an athlete. And now we're fine. Like, I was like, that's such bullshit to say. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he, like you said, he is a fierce competitor and like, he cares about the game and it's kind of nice that, Whatever reason, like this is the reason it kind of we get to see that competitive side in terms of like in media appearances and you know obviously his game. Um, but it's kind of a nice 
flip of the switch, I feel like, to where he's kind of not downplaying, like, how hard golf is or, like, how much he cares about golf. So Yeah, I think it's also, too, the fact that he finished runner-up to Phil and he played so poorly in that final round, yeah. I think really pissed him off. For sure. Agreed. And it, it makes it so he doesn't want to feel that again. I think yeah. he is totally primed to play well this week. Yeah. And and to go into your the top odds, uh, Jason, we I, I'm not going to get too much into this setup because that's just kind of like nerdy golf. But this is going to be who can hit the ball the farthest off the tee. It's going to be tight fairways. The rough is going to be grown up. It's going to just be a hack fest. And who's going to be able to get the ball furthest up to where you have a much easier to cl- club to hit off out of the rough where you can still keep it on the green or get it to the green sort of a thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why you see the DJs, the Rory, or not the Rory, but the Rom, um, the Bryson, those guys are leading, you know, mm-hmm. candidates, best odds to win this week. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to go into picks for, uh, we had this segment a while back with Sam and Ben, we're going to do it again. Um, you made some picks too, right, Jason? Um, I have, I didn't go, because I didn't remember the exact format, so I just more am going to, you know, say who I think is going to be in there on Sunday, but I wanted to leave the specific stuff to you guys because you're more connected to that than I am, but I'm going to try my best to to watch uh, this weekend because I'll have the time to, so. Can I also just say really quickly, it's going to be a boring watch. I hate I think it's going to be lame. Honestly, I, I hate the way the USGA approaches this open, this championship, where it's, uh-huh. you can't hit a fairway and it's hack. It's a hack fest. It's it's lame. It's go, it's, it's not the, going to be that many exciting golf shots. So it's the think, toughest challenge in golf. But it's not even a real challenge, man. Anymore, it's just <laughs> who can hit it farthest. <laughs> like that's not really a challenge to me. I mean, it challenges one part of the game, but you you know. You get rid of, I feel like, 80% of the field. If you can't hit it over 315, 320, you've got really no shot of winning this week. Yeah, um, they've, they've chosen, what, Oakmont, Aaron Hills. Like Olympic, some of the you know, like just these American yeah. courses, and they just grow the hell out of the rough. And it's it's really not that exciting, in my they, opinion. But they pride themselves so much on, like, probably having the lowest – under par score yeah. oh for sure out and, of any major oh yeah and great and like i'm sure jason if you flip it on this weekend you're gonna see an awesome leaderboard because usually in these championships you know the best players in the world are the ones contending but again that's why bryson won by six shots last year and he was the only player under pars because he hit the ball farther than anyone and he had you know pitching wedge and nine iron instead of having five and six iron out of the rough well, the the funny thing for me is is that even though I don't necessarily watch a ton of golf, it's more just because there have been there hasn't been a lot of time over the past you know in a year or two where I've had the time to sit down and watch for sure the yeah. the entire tournament. And for me, when it's on, I'm glued. I I re- I know it's a boring sport, but I do really enjoy watching golf. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I, I enjoy I really enjoy watching golf more than I enjoy watching baseball, um, which stinks because I really do want to get more into baseball. I went to a baseball game um, recently, and being there live is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, 
but I actually enjoy watching golf a lot more than I enjoy watching baseball. And maybe it's just because I know golf better and I play it whenever I can. Um, but I mean, for me, it's going to be one of those things where I'm just, it's just going to be fun to, to watch the tournament. And I don't, if there, even, even if there were only two people that I knew, it'd be like, all right, well, you know, I still want to watch some golf. And that's the same thing for tennis as well. Like tennis, I think tennis for me is one of those sports where it doesn't necessarily matter who's playing. I mean, it's more fun to watch the bigger names, but tennis is just fun to watch, um, in that sense. But, um, all right, so let's move into picks. Who wants to start? Sam, you have the honors. Yeah, I got you, dude. Just, just want to throw that out there. Ben did win when we made our Masters mm. predictions. Yes. So he is, all intents and purposes, the betting favorite going into this week. I might be a little bit of an underdog, but I'm going to take some mistakes I made last time and really put it together. You I guys, hope you picked You guys Paul wrote them down? Yeah, you I got mine written down. down. So we, yeah. got, we have a tally sheet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll send a picture to you, Sam, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So for round one, I have Harris English in my top five, Victor Hovland, Xander Shoffley again. I'm riding with Xander a little bit. I think DJ rebounds from a pretty bad year, but he did look uh, good in the Palmetto Championship, I guess, was the last tournament. Oh, yep. And then I think a former champion is going to be leading after round one. Ben, who do you think it is? Former champion? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going with Bryson, huh? Nope. Justin Rose will be the leader after round one. I'm so – thank you. I, I, I'm i glad we had a Justin Rose call. That's great. <laughs> All right. So my round one, um, it's going to be Rory. I'm going with Whoa. Rory. I think he's going to have a hot start. Again, I really, really, really think if he can just bomb drive – and make a couple of putts and he can stay afloat around even par after day one, he'll probably be in the top five. I thought I got, he was a dead man walking. Uh-huh. I got my main man, Tony. <laughs> Tony Finau. Tony Finau is going to be in the top five again. Bombers. Okay. He's going to be a Bombers Paradise. He played uh-huh. the Farmers Insurance earlier this year and was, a, I think, finished second. So I've got that. At, at Torrey Pines, right? At Yep, at Torrey Pines. So I think he's familiar, likes the place. I've got Bryson. I've got John Rahm and Sneaky, but again, going back to Farmers this year, I like Patrick Reed being in the top five round one. I think his short game, because guys are going to miss some greens. He's got the best short game in the world. I think he can, you know, play a little better around the greens out of that rough than some others can. So I think he'll be in the top five after round one. Yeah, I thought, I thought, because Rahm is the heavy favorite. I think it's because. Of how he played two weeks ago when yeah. he had a um, when he had a withdrawal because of COVID, but he was eighteen under par in two rounds or something he was like that. Lapping the field, which is hard. yeah, it was <laughs> it was nuts. But and he's also won at Torrey, I think twice. I think you're right. Yeah. So he's just been he's played really well at the course, and he's played well recently. So I think that's why he's the overwhelming favorite. Yeah. It makes it makes sense why you would put him in round one. I just thought it would be. I don't know. I just feel like the the favorites never usually live up to that status, you know. Yeah. No, I, I see that, and I I don't know. It, it totally recency bias bias with Rom for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's hard to bet against the hot golfer, and yeah, know, 
what he was doing at the memorial is unbelievable. So if he even has a little bit of that, I I think he finds his way into the top five. Did did uh, Patrick Cantley actually get to eighteen under? No, I don't. So think he so. he would have won even if yep. he didn't play yep. on Sunday. Yep, That's if tough. he just shot an even par round, he would have won. So, so who you got for round two, Ben? Round two, I've got Tony. We're putting is Xander. Leading. No, not leading. I'm going. This okay. Tony is going to be in the top five. I got him mm-hmm. at five. I got Xander bumping into the top five. He's my four. I got Reed dropping out of that lead position. He's going to be three. I like Bryson, you know, sticking around at two. And I've got Rom at one after round okay. two. Nice, nice. So I have our guy Brooks slipping into top five around after round two. Uh, Xander slipping to four. DJ going to three. I got Colin Morikawa, who's getting a little bit of buzz leading into this tournament because of how well he just played in the Memorial. I have him at two, and then Hovland sneaking up to number one after round Hovland, two. Hovland, Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland. I like Jace. that. We're, we're kind of on the same, because I'll go into my round three picks. Uh-huh. So I got Victor going into my whoa, top Whoa, five. hey, whoa, time out, Ben. ben. Time out, time out. Okay. Jason, who, you, who, you, who do you think's – who would you side with for, after the first two rounds? Which list? Um, well, they were okay. So, just give me a quick read on both of them again, real quick. So, I had I had Rose, DJ, Xander, top three, and then I had uh, Hovland, Colin, and Dustin okay. finishing uh, top after Friday. Ben, and then I have Reed, Rom, Bryson, round one, and then Rom, Bryson, Reed. So I have the same three; they just flip. Uh-huh. So it, it sounds like it, Ben. It sounds like you are going more heavy favorites than than Sam is, and heavy um, hitters, and heavy hitters too. <laughs> I think if I'm just playing the odds, then I'd have to say I'd have to just go with Sam's because it's I, it normally when it comes to stuff like this, you pick the odds on betting favorite. Normally, there's somebody or maybe one or two people who sneak in there um, who you weren't expecting. Um, so I think just based on, just based on that, not every one of the betting favorites is going to play perfect. I'm sure that's very unlikely and not all of the lower level in terms of betting favorites, uh, players are going to play poorly. So there are going to be people who are going to play well above what I guess people would predict. So I think on that sense, I think it'd be safer to go with Sam. So I'm going to roll with Sam. Fair enough. Yeah, it makes sense. A lot of a lot of good go. I don't. I think we've more been in units. There's less shocks in this list than in the Masters yeah, list. I, feel, I think. And, and like, you know, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, and I'm, you would agree with this, but I, I just feel like you can't you can't necessarily pick forty best forty best odds in this tournament. Like they they're obviously these guys hit the ball a mile. Like they're uh-huh. gonna be in the. I don't know. That's just how I'm approaching it. So, quick thing, real quick. I'm reading right now from NBC Sports a headline: uh, U.S. Open 2021. Justin Rose, Victor Hovland headline: Best bets. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I did. I didn't know that list existed. Uh oh. Uh oh, Sam. That's not good for you. Uh-oh. I got exposed. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh no. <laughs> 
All right, let's go. Round three. So, so Ben, your missed cuts list. How many guys did you go for missed cuts? Oh, guys go for missed cuts? Yeah, did you not write a missed cuts list? Like, who's not going to make it? Oh, okay. I got some. I got some. I got some. Okay, okay. All right. Do you want me to just read mine right yeah, now? Yeah, go ahead. You can read yours first, but yes. All right, so I have five guys that I think Perfect. are not going to make the cut after okay. round two, right? Do it. I have Phil... Just crowned PGA championship okay. champion. For I think sure. he's missing the cut. Yeah, that's an obvious one, sure. <laughs> I think a guy that was close in that PGA championship, Louis Oosthuizen, I don't think he's going to make the cut. Okay. Uh, Jordan Spieth. He's had this resurrection as of late. I think it's kind of halted in today's in uh, this weekend's tournament, and he misses the cut. Okay. Uh. Your memorial winner, Patrick Cantley, will somehow miss the cut. And then I have uh, probably like the Cinderella story, I guess, of PGA of the last two of the last like two years. Will Zalatoris will miss the cut. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. All right, you got a cut. You got five names for me. Yeah, so I got Hideki missing the cut. Oh, okay. I got JT missing the cut. Justin Thomas, okay. Yeah, I got Cantley missing the cut as well. Um, Webb Simpson is not making the cut. <laughs> and this is a big name that I don't think is going to make the cut this year. Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is not making the cut this year at the U.S. Open. So we both have Spieth missing the cut. Yep. Wow. I thought that was So he's going to probably win the tournament, but. <laughs> makes sense yeah Those all right guys so round three ben lead us off so in the fifth position i've got victor then i got tony still gonna be in the top five i got xander moving up to three rom at two and i got bryson leading after three i think this Ooh. was a good the golf world would go crazy if Bryson is going into Sunday looking to go back to back in the US Open. Yeah, definitely. That'd be that'd be especially with the buzz that he has on him right now. Yeah. Um, I have I think we we were in two minds, I guess, because I also saw Patrick Reed's success at this course. And I put him in my top five. Very cool. After nice. round three. I think Colin's gonna be at four. Uh, Brooksy moves up to three, DJ at two, and Hovland again stays as your leader after three. Okay, I like that. I really like the Hovland play. I think he's he's legit, dude. Yeah, I do too. All right, so well, I can go into my round four. Yeah, you could do it. So my round four, this is kind of a re- weird random name, but I like it. I got Max Homa finishing in the top oh. five. Dang, at a major. That's open, yep. Wow. I got Brooks Kepka finding his way back into the top five. I don't think he's going to be necessarily in contention when the day begins, but I think he'll be, you know, factors the day comes to a close. Mm-hmm. I got Victor Hovland finishing third. Okay. I got John Rom finishing second. And I got the hometown boy, Xander Shoffley, winning it all. Wow. And I got Bryson falling out of my top five. After, after the lead. Oh, yep. Sh- all right. Well. I have Xander in my top five at five. I have Colin again at four. 
I think Hovland makes that slide all the way to three from leading. I think the final pairing of DJ and Brooks battle it out for that lead, but I have Brooks winning. I like it. What's your what's your hesitancy with Brooks? This was um, this weekend. I don't know. I just I don't know. I think uh I don't think he's just gonna catch fire this week. It's hard to catch fire over and over again at majors and I don't know. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a top five guy. I think he's going to be in the top 10 to 15 a majority of the weekend, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be fighting to win the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of like, yeah, I don't feel like Brooks has got maybe got it this week and I'm probably yeah. going to be totally wrong, but I just feel like this, this week's going to be hard on the knee. It's a lot of hard swings out of the rough. Um, yeah. So he might get a little tired, so we'll see. A lot of uneven surfaces. So yeah. what was the final round that you had Mr. Xander Shoffley shooting? Or the I final score? I finishing under par at minus three. Okay. I did minus five for Brooks. I like it. So both pretty low. Yep. And I just want to say, when I said that Xander Shoffley was going to win the Masters, you said that was boring. But now that no, you I have been winning – Okay, yes. At the time, you said it was a snooze fest. Yeah, at the time it was going to be boring because you got Jordan Spieth winning the week before and he hadn't won in like 500 years. And then you're over here like, I want, you know, Paul Casey and Zander to win. You remember Paul Casey. Dude, that is the most annoying pick I've ever heard in my life. I will never forget that pick. Yeah, so Jason, who who you got? Who would you ride with? Well, I've said for a while that my favorite golfer for the longest time has been Brooks. So, I mean, I just – I would love to – if I'm just picking my favorite and who – if I'm just rooting for the guy that I want to win, then I would root for Brooks. I I enjoy the way that he goes about golf. I love watching him play. Um, and uh, I would I would just uh, – I would roll with Brooks. Not necessarily because you picked him or, you know, it, it wouldn't matter which one of you picked him. I just – I would want to roll with Brooks. Um, because like I said, I, I, I really like watching him play. Um, so I'll be rooting for Brooks this weekend. Um, imagine Bryson has to relinquish the U S open championship to Brooks Kepka. That would be, that would be awesome. That would be I would hilarious. honestly love to see those two in a final grouping too. God, it'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it'd be so cool. Uh, Cause you know, the pe- you know, you know, golf isn't going to put them together. It's going to have to happen naturally. And God, would this be the weekend to have it happen? Um, I don't mean to, to butt in here and to completely change subjects, but I'm just going to give you guys an update on the Brooklyn and uh, Milwaukee game. Brooklyn Please. is currently up by three points. It is 101 to 98 with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant's stat line. I'll read it for you. 43 points, 10 assists. 15 rebounds and then James Harden, James Harden, three points, (laughs) seven assists and six rebounds. Jeff Green is the person who is carrying the load for Brooklyn. He has 24 for the Nets. And then the Bucks, Giannis has, oh, the score just updated. It is 104 to 100, Brooklyn. Um, Giannis has 30 points. Four assists and eleven rebounds. Drew Holiday is seventeen. 
And Chris Middleton has 25 points, five assists, and three rebounds. So there's three minutes and 22 seconds left as of this update. 104 to 100, Brooklyn is winning. Wow. Just putting in there real quick with that. That's not, weren't they down like by as much as like twenty five? Well, at the end of the first quarter, it was twenty nine to fifteen. And at the I think I think the five or six minute mark of the first quarter, they only had six points. Uh, another update, Ben. You'll you'll appreciate this. The bottom of the third, Giants down seven to three against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Who was pitching? Uh, let's see for you. Dude, the Diamondbacks have lost 20 straight road games. Holy yeah, they're God. so bad. Oh, it was that, um, where they start with a, it was like this, the, uh... It was an I opener? Care. Is that what they call what? it? They had, like, a guy from the bullpen start? Yeah, so Zach Littell started, and oh, he geez. had, he gave up four earned in the first yeah, innings. Yeah, I'm looking and at then, the box. You know that, uh, you know that guy, Sammy Long, who, like, yeah. lit up, uh, who was it that he lit up? Texas? Yeah, Texas. He gave up three. So they need, they need some spider tech. They need their pitch they're starting pitchers to get healthy. <laughs> yeah, for real. So before... I think this is uh this is Logan Webb's start that they're missing. Mm, dang. Yeah. Sorry, um, Jason. No, you're good. I, I thought you were done. Um before uh, before we end the show, I have to uh, put this out there. What do we got for predictions? For Saturday, Ooh. the match between Sam and Ben and oh, myself we're and Keegan. We're winning. Sam I think Ben's gonna Ben's gonna carry. We're Sam's gonna drain a couple of putts. He's gonna have some amazing holes. I I feel good. You know, I, I it's, it's one of those things where I, Keegan and I thought. both we both haven't played in so long that I think. I don't. I don't know if that's going to serve as a. We're going to have no expectations, and that's going to work in our favor, um, or if it's just going to bite us in the ass, and we're going to be shooting it everywhere. I'm really worried about myself off the tee, um, because for, because for me, that's that's my biggest uh, my biggest area of uh, of weakness. I feel pretty good with my irons, but uh, yeah, I may I may just be hitting like seven irons off the tee. We'll see. Love that. Love that. We'll I would see. love to see that. Hey, you know what? If it goes straight, then that's really that's really all I can ask for. You know, true. It's really all I can ask for. Um, well, next next show we will come we will come on and we'll give you all an update of what exactly happened. Ben, what what is your prediction for your your score? Um, oh God, I would well depends on the format. If we just played straight up, I would hope to shoot something like around 80. Lovely to shoot below 80, but I haven't teed it up in like a month and a half, so I have no idea. You know, I just came across the scorecard where it was just you and me. And yeah. It was that round where like I was actually competing with you. Yeah. <laughs> I just came across it and it was I think I think I had an 86 and you were at like an 80. <laughs> um and I I just looked at it and I smiled. I was like, "Wow." <laughs> That was a nowhere, fun day. I'm nowhere near that. Right that now. was a fun day. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. That that was that round was one of the funnest rounds that I had played ever because um, I just I felt in it yeah. the entire time. And yeah. I was like, wow, I'm kinda neck and neck a little bit and then and then you were just like, nah. <laughs> and towards towards the end you were like, you know what, hang on. Give me give me a, give me a so second. Funny. That was give a fun a day. Second. That was fun. 
Well, I I was only down by one in the the front nine, and then just you were like, yeah, well, you'll fall apart, and I did. So, <laughs> so, so Sam, what do you think? What what, what do you think the draw is going to be? What's it? What? What'd you say? Uh, what What do you think is going to happen? Oh, um, Ben, I'm sorry, man. I I think I gotta go to the range beforehand. Got it. Maybe got to hit some balls. We'll get there early, Sam. Okay, okay. Just fix the swing completely. Because the swing feels good, but there's just something wrong with it at this point where everything's just spraying, you know? Uh, we'll, get really there early, we'll get you right. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. Or you're one one yep. tip to fix all. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, my saving grace is I usually play pretty well at Diamond Oaks because it's such a forgiving course. Um, and the competitive, I, Ben just brings the best out of my game usually because he's such a douchebag. Exactly. When I like hit a, hit a bad shot that I just want to like prove him wrong, you know? So really like all my best rounds have Ben's been present. So this round must be no different. And I'm really not expecting a lot from Keegan because the dude's a D1 soccer player, so there's it's not like he's playing golf a lot. <laughs> he's he's better than uh, than you give him credit for. Well, he's way better than me, right? That's, <laughs> that's not hard to be given. better than you, though. That's the okay, Ben. We're on the same team. That's friendly fire. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's the thing. I'm trying to help you out. I want you to be able to hit a good shot. So you need. I'm, to... I'm going to prove you wrong. Exactly. But I think I think the teams are as even as they could be in the sense that. With all of us at our best, I feel like let's say all of us play at our best. I mean, oh Ben and I smoke you. Guys. Yeah, we smoke you guys. Well, but what I'm <laughs> but what I'm saying, but what I'm saying in that sense is like Sam, you and I have played each other and played against each other, and you've you've never. I don't think you've beaten me. No. Um, and if I'm if I'm playing my so in the in the past, my best has beaten your best. Um, yeah, Keegan's best has beaten my best, um, uh-huh. and Ben Ben beats us all. So if we're just going one, two, three, four, in in that sense, and that's all things equal. I don't know where the hell I am right now. I I may not even deserve to be in the group, um, but uh, if we're just going off of that criteria, then we have one one and four versus two and three. Um, so Ben and I teamed up to play against you and um, wasn't it Braden? Braden, yeah. And we like destroyed you guys. Okay. So Keegan what's going to be different? Keegan and I work well together. We work okay. well together. Don't worry. As long as Keegan can kick the ball in, I guess then it should be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh man. Well, we'll find out what happens on Saturday. So again, thank you all for uh, joining us for episode ninety-two of Nothing to Say the Fans podcast. We're creeping up on episode 100 uh, which is kind of hard to believe that we've almost done this a hundred times um ben thanks again for coming on um and i can't wait to uh, kick your ass on saturday <laughs> good luck with that appreciate it though boys <laughs> Keegan, hey, i'll, I'll, ma- I'll make it close i'll make it close. yeah Go yeah ahead. exactly that's why sam's on my team <laughs> right, right. <laughs> all right well we'll see you all next week uh stay safe and have a great week and weekend and we'll talk to you later oh, bye everyone